Hi friends, today's episode is sponsored by Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is the industry leader in online accountability software. I've used Covenant Eyes personally for well over a decade, and we also use their service in our ministry. Through our partnership with Covenant Eyes, you can try out their services for free for 30 days when you enroll at CovenantEyes.com and use our promo code BEBROKEN. That's CovenantEyes.com and promo code BEBROKEN. The link is also in today's show notes. So sign up today for Covenant Eyes and discover the freedom that comes with online accountability. Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We're glad to have you here with us. My name is Jonathan, and I have my friend, Dr. Julie Slattery, with me. And we're actually recording this at the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit. So it's fun to have you across a table where I'm I'm literally seeing your face. We're in the same room. So mm-hmm. welcome back to the program. Well, thank you. It's good to be in your hometown, although we've had a lot of rain. Yeah, I, we've we've felt very apologetic to all of the guests because it's like this is not typical, you know, San Antonio weather. We're a sunny place. Yeah, well, when you live in Akron, Ohio, you you can't really criticize anybody else's weather, so we're okay. That's funny. Well, I wanted to have you on because uh, I want us to try to tackle this subject of how do you talk about really unpopular and even difficult topics in love mm-hmm. without compromising on truth. Yeah. And so you and I are in a similar space of ministry. I mean, mm-hmm. we're dealing with sexual brokenness and trying to help people navigate that from a biblical framework. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you first, um, why is it important that we are even doing the work that we're doing? Talking about sexual brokenness? Just doing yeah. this kind of work. Because I mean, it's yeah. it's one thing to have it as sort of a, mm-hmm. a side mm-hmm. focus. Yeah. This is like the calling on our lives. Right. And so why do you think that's important? Yeah, I think it's important for a few reasons. First of all, um, sexual brokenness represents a lot of pain in people's lives. And God meets us in pain. And so if you don't have Christians that are called and equipped to step into that place of pain, that time of pain, and help you navigate it, then you're not going to find healing from God. And second of all, you're really not going to find a relationship with God. So I see what we do as the extension of the Great Commission, that we are sharing the love of Christ with people who don't know Him. And sexual pain and questions is often a time where we're desperate enough to seek a truth that maybe we weren't interested in before. How many people start going to church or will listen to uh, a Christian when their marriage falls apart, when they've tried everything else and nothing's working. And so there's the evangelistic piece of what we're doing. But then there's a discipleship piece. And there are so many people who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love God, but this area of my life feels like it's just splintered off from my love for God. I can't control my sexual desires Uh, my marriage is a mess in this area, or I'm a single Christian, and I don't know what it looks like to steward my sexual desire in a way that honors God. There's so much confusion in our culture uh, that a lot of Christians don't even know what is healthy sexuality, Mm -hmm. and how does what God say apply to our real-life tensions that we're living through. So I think there's lots of reasons why being called to sexual integrity-type ministries is a way that we fulfill the Great Commission in our day and age. 
Yeah, now you mentioned, you know, all, you, just in that little statement, you mentioned yeah. all the difficulties yeah. that, that are present and you're talking about pain points and just yeah. talking about all the different ways in which even a person in their own being can be very confused about sexuality. Um, so we're dealing with something that I think also has a lot of uh, divisiveness mm-hmm. and not only between Christian, the Christian worldview and any other kind of worldview, but even within Christianity. And so why do you think we are so divided, even as those who profess faith in Christ, on this issue of sexuality? Oh, I, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One reason is that I really believe that a theology of sexuality comes out of knowing God's Word and understanding the richness of the story of, of the Bible. There are an awful lot of Christians who um, have a superficial understanding of God's Word and have really uh, adopted the cultural mindset that God is here to serve us, that God is here to make us happy instead of we are here to worship God. And so when you have that turned around, especially with all the messaging about sexuality in our culture, as a Christian, you can start to think, well, everything should be okay, or God wouldn't want me to walk in a season of pain. Uh, And so there's a misunderstanding of the purpose of sexuality. I think also, historically, Jonathan, you and I both know this, uh, God's word has not been handled well related Mm -hmm. to sexual issues. It's been very reductionistic, simplistic, legalistic, judgmental. And so there are an awful lot of Christians who have experienced pain from the church related to their sexuality. And so as soon as the topic comes up, it taps into that pain. And it's not a rational conversation now. When we experience pain, we actually even react from a different part of our brain. We don't Mm -hmm. think through what we're saying. We're not empathic. We just want to protect ourselves. And so when we're talking to people about sexual issues, we have to recognize that for many of them, even the topic itself is going to uh, touch on a pain point where they've been hurt by the church or shamed or judged, or they have a friend or a family member who has. Uh, And so those are some of the issues. I think it's created so much division and where these conversations are not easy to have, even amongst Christians. Yeah, sometimes the irony to me is the the very word of God that is meant to set people free is actually used to control them. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. especially on topics like this, that that there's a there's just a lot of ignorance and I think fear yeah. around this because I think if if we're honest with ourselves, all of us would have to say, I don't even understand myself mm-hmm. fully mm-hmm. in this area because you just feelings come and go temptations are, are present and there's things that have happened in our own lives so we're kind of set up for uh, a soup that's messy in our own sexuality but you mentioned the the need to have a a really strong biblical foundation can you tell us a little bit about how does one get a a comprehensive strong biblical foundation for God's design for sex. Yeah, there are a lot of different resources that can help you walk through that. But I think uh, what's most important, and this is not just related to sexuality, but to our faith as a whole, is understanding that the Bible is a story. 
And I remember being in college the first time I ever saw this. I was taking an Old Testament class. I was going to a Christian college. And the professor explained how the Old Testament foreshadows the New Testament. And it was like I'd grown up in church, but it was like my mind was blown. Like I'd never heard that before. Uh, and most of us haven't heard that. We, we tend to think of the Bible and be taught about the Bible based on s- specific passages. So everybody is uh, ad nauseum teaching a gospel or teaching um, one of the Pauline letters, and those are, are important. From the Old Testament, we just hear the stories of David and Noah, but we don't put the whole story together. And this is true related to sexuality. Most of us are arguing over a couple of verses mm. that say what not to do with your sexuality. And that's the theology that the church has traditionally taught. This is sexually immoral behavior. God hates sexual immorality. Therefore, repent and don't mess up. And what we miss is that throughout the scripture, there's a story of our sexuality. There's a purpose of our sexuality from Genesis to Revelation that answers the question, why does sexuality matter? And why are those passages in there that talk about sexual immorality? And what is God's heart for our sexual brokenness? And that's just not taught. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of ways to get that deeper message the deeper message of the Bible. I think one of the greatest resources we have today is called the Bible Project. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but mm-hmm. these guys do a great job in a very uh, consumer-friendly way of creating videos that explain the larger story of the Bible and how each book fits, fits into that larger story. And so in order to understand God's heart for sexuality, you have to also understand God's heart for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you and I are both in, in the ministry of helping connect that for people and to walk on their journey with them and to really help them see the fullness of God's design for sex and his heart for them. Yeah, and you know, I think, I think when you do dig in to that fuller story, you actually recognize this is not a, it's not a law story, it's a love story. Yeah. And that context is so important, right? But let's be, let's, be brutally honest here. In that love story, you realize that we are called to a relationship with this perfect lover, mm-hmm. with this this lover that has big dreams for us mm-hmm. that are not congruent with where we want to go in the sense of, I want to do my own thing. Yeah. I want to be my own God. So how do we how do we first navigate the difficult conversation we have to have with ourselves mm-hmm. about this gospel story intersecting with our lives and kind of calling out the realities that are within us that are preventing us from moving forward into this beautiful love story that God has for us especially around our sexual brokenness. Yeah, I think most of us don't think about it as a love story. Honestly, Jonathan, you know, there are a couple of different ways that God presents himself for us to understand him. And uh, one of the primary ways is as a father with his children. And I think that connects with people more than the other predominant metaphor, which is we are the bride of Christ. We are his beloved. Uh, We are wedded to him. And I think we're much more comfortable thinking about God as a father 
And for many of us, that means uh, God disciplines us. He even punishes us. He might be angry with us. Uh, he expects us to perform for him because we all have father issues that cloud that picture. Um, but then when we move into the metaphor of us being the bride of Christ, like that's a lot harder for people to get their mind around. And so I don't think many Christians actually grasp the idea of what we're saying, that it is a love story. Like they might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you when you let that sink in, do you really believe it? Mm-hmm. One of the things we hear over and over in our culture today is in evangelism, it's not convincing people that God is true, but it's convincing people that God is good. Mm. And they really don't trust the fact that the Bible actually is good news. It sounds very much like bad news. Um, and our culture is very now focused. It's very earthly focused. We don't talk about death. Uh, we don't talk about eternity. Uh, even within the church, the focus is on here today, the joy God's giving us today. And I think that really keeps us from seeing the fact that this story is much more extensive than we realize, that this life is a breath and what God is really preparing us for is eternity. Uh, and most Christians just don't think like that. Well, and I love you uh, drawing the distinction between that father relationship and that, that spouse relationship. Because mm-hmm. there, we even know in our human experience, there's a, an exponentially different level of intimacy even between those two relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a dad yeah. or as a mom... We can be very, very connected and absolutely for our children and intimacy, but there's a there's a point at which that level of intimacy cannot go to the degree that mm-hmm. a husband and wife can go to right. in terms of intimacy. But you mentioned several things. You mentioned about death, and let's think about sin, and let's talk about repentance, mm-hmm. and and you know we're we're starting from this place of of sexuality, but there are a lot of difficult conversations that that must be had in in our understanding of having a biblical worldview. How do we navigate those in in such a way where we are talking to people in a culture that is antithetical to those biblical views? How do we have those conversations in a way that we have boldness, but we also uh, keep in balance, or I should say maybe in tension, love and truth? Mm Mm-hmm. How do yeah. we begin to step into that <laughs> Gee, territory? That, it's the million-dollar question. Uh, I think, first of all, is recognizing, and this is really key, every relationship is different. Mm. And I think this is probably a fault of the church in previous generations that would have like the four spiritual laws, and that's important to know what the Romans wrote is. and But recognizing that every relationship is unique, and the person in front of you uh, has a different way to hear truth than the last person you just met with. Uh, It says in the Gospels that Jesus knew the heart of every man. Mm. And because of that, you see every interaction he has with a person is different. Like even the way he would heal someone, for some he would just say, you are healed. For some he'd tell them to put mud on their eyes, and it was just different for everyone. Some he'd touch, some he wouldn't. Yes, and why? 
because he knew not only the heart of the person he was healing, but he knew the hearts of the crowds that were watching. And so he never repeated himself in interacting with somebody the same ways, other than the Pharisees. He seemed to say the yeah. same thing to them over and over again. But, uh, but I think we need to recognize that individuals are unique. And our first thing that we want to do is know the heart of the person. Jesus knew it instantly. We have to work at knowing the heart of the person we're talking to. And this is why platforms like social media can be such poor places to have conversations like this, because you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know the pain they're coming from. You don't know the questions they have. Uh, And so we really want to say these conversations that are potentially so divisive and hurtful need to be had in the context of safety and relationship. And so that would be the first thing. And there's a lot we could talk about, but... Well, it kind of makes me think of like uh, understanding the the wisdom element here, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, there's there's even some Proverbs that literally one proverb will say, you know, answer a fool in his folly and you'll have saved him. And the next fool is don't answer a fool in his folly. Yeah. You know, like, wait a sec, what is it? Mm -hmm. Do I I speak against this folly or do I... Just yeah. keep my mouth shut. Yes. It's like, well, situation and yeah. person, right? In terms of whether or not you're going to say something or whether or not you aren't. Yeah. And there's a lot in Proverbs that talks about our words. Are my words life-giving? Even when I say hard things, do they feel compassionate and kind? And are they, are they, are they presenting life or are they just going around and slashing people without care and kindness? Uh, and then I think another thing that's so key, Jonathan, and I know you, you practice this and believe this, but we have to let that truth offend us first. And Jesus said that you are the salt of the world, like that you are the light of the world. Uh, and the way we live our lives should be a profound testimony that gives us uh, some freedom to speak what God has done in our heart. And so the conversation can't be what God needs to do in your life and me confronting you on your stuff without it first wounding me and me talking about that place of uh, change and repentance before the Lord myself. Uh, And I think when we have that posture that I'm not going to speak anything that I haven't let wound me, and not just wound me 10 years ago, Mm. but coming before the Lord regularly and seeing that, It is only by His grace that I am saved. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that I can live a life of godliness. And that humility uh, means that it presents a softer um, kind of posture of the truth, even though the truth is strong. So I think in our Christian circles, we lack that a lot. We make it about, I can't believe you would think this. We, We take on culture wars. This is not about a culture war. This is about the kingdom of light versus darkness. It's it's a spiritual battle. And for us to be equipped in that battle means that we have to be in that place of being filled with the Spirit. Now, this may be too personal, and yeah. you can just tell me, no, I sure. don't want to answer yeah, that. Yeah, that's okay. Um, uh, and also, sometimes when I'm going to ask a really personal question of somebody, I want the listeners to know what we're going to be hearing is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay. Yeah. Because I would like to know what does that wrestling look like in your own life? Like when you're saying, let that truth offend you first. Yeah. Can you share anything of what that looks like? Sure. Yeah. I'll share even within the last few days. And so, uh, everybody struggles with different things and has different kind of besetting sins. And mine is pride. 
And so being here at a conference where I'm speaking, before I spoke, I wrestled with insecurity and what will people think of me. That was the expression of pride of, I want this to be about me instead of about the Lord. And how do I wrestle with that, with the Lord, where I'm getting all of that out of the way. And then after I speak, I wrestle with pride when people come up and say, thank you so much for what you said. It was really helpful. And I have to wrestle to give that praise to the Lord. And so it's, every time I come to an event like this, I'm like, I can't do this very often because it's not, it feeds my flesh. And I have to be before the Lord in the morning and in my thoughts during the day. Just somebody who would say uh, they wrestle with pornography or lust, it is an it is a daily battle. And if you don't bring it before the Lord and ask the Lord to, to heal you and to forgive you on a regular basis, like you're just going to fall right into it. So when I say, oh, I struggle with pride, people are like, oh, that's not as bad as sexual sin. You know, but we look at the scripture and it's one of the seven things God hates. Actually, sexual sin isn't among the list of seven things, but pride is. And it really is the gateway of all sin. And so when I say that, like it's a it's legitimate battle that that I deal with on a daily basis. And I think that's part of the the deception of the enemy is think, making us believe that oh, that's not a big deal. Yeah. You know. Uh, so let's. I want to talk about maybe two contexts and see if you can just maybe speak some encouragement of how you would maybe help people in these particular contexts. One is the context of maybe somebody that has has a platform, maybe a pastor, or a podcaster, mm-hmm. so somebody that has a platform in um, in the church. And then the other context is just like a friend. Yeah. And and when when these difficult topics come up, and let's just widen it out even beyond sexuality. You mentioned things like death or yeah. sin or just mm-hmm. the need to repent. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to pastors to maybe encourage them to press into these things more? Because I do feel like... Um, at least the pastors that I know, ministry leaders, people that have yeah. a platform, I think uh, fear yes. can often be a huge because they're here in the culture, they live in the culture. Yeah, um, we know what happens. We've seen what happens to pastors mm-hmm. that try to hold the line on yeah. biblical truth and just get mm-hmm. crucified for it. So, how mm-hmm. would you help encourage a pastor to to navigate these difficult conversations? Yeah, I think first of all. Um, we have to go back to what we're here to do. When you read through the book of John, Jesus continually says, I'm not here to do my work. I'm here to do the work of the Father. And even in ministry, sometimes it can be very much our work that we're asking God to bless. And it's not laying down our work, making ourselves nothing like Jesus did so that we can pick up the work of the Father. And so I think there's a big difference between saying, I'm going to preach a series on sexuality because I think it's needed and saying, Lord, how do you want me to handle this issue? Uh, And would you give me your words? And I want to search the scripture for your heart. Uh, When when we're in our own strength, our own agenda, like that's when we get into trouble. But when we know that God has laid a message on our heart, even if it's a hard message to give, we know that we're being obedient and we're sharing in Jesus's obedience. And in some cases we're sharing in his persecution and his rejection. And the scriptures would say, when that happens, you are blessed. Like that's a way Mm. of you knowing Christ Jesus, but also it's a way of 
you storing up what the Lord has for us in heaven. And it's a way, this is so key, it's a way of seeing the power of God. And Jonathan, I know this is true of your ministry and it's true of my ministry. Like there is such a power in being willing to speak the truth of God mm-hmm. that changes lives that it amazes me. Mm-hmm. And all the psychology in the world and the self-help in the world doesn't have that power. And so when we're in ministry, like what we really want is the power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. And if we water down the message of the cross, we water down the message of how much we need Jesus, then we water down that power. Yeah. And I think what you just shared is is helpful for both the person who has the platform yeah, as well as just the friend that's sitting over coffee and hearing somebody's story and realizing God is prompting me to speak a hard truth here yeah. or speak something that is difficult. Now, on the one hand, the person with the platform may not have and usually doesn't have the kind of intimate connection mm-hmm. with whoever they are mm-hmm. sharing with. Um, I don't intimately know all of our listeners on our pocket. You know what I mean? So there's certain things that when yeah. I'm speaking here, we're trying to send out information, send out truth that's that's helpful. Um but there's a different dynamic when you're talking about friends, yeah. like people in your life, people in your community, mm-hmm. people in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the? What are maybe some fundamental differences between how we, we may want to approach a fellow believer mm-hmm. in, in having hard conversations and, and doing so in love, and then speaking to somebody who doesn't even know the Lord? Yeah, it's very different. And I think one of the, tr- the troubles we get in is we tend to te- treat these groups different or the same way. So, um, you know, one of the the really hard conversations in our culture today is around anything related to LGBTQ, and it's very different to have a conversation with somebody who doesn't know God on that topic than it should be to have a conversation with a fellow believer. And we tend to just mix them mm-hmm. together. Uh, and this is true not just with that conversation, but anything related to sexuality or God's design for us. With the unbeliever, the issue is not the sexual thing that they might be doing, sleeping around or you name it. The issue is they don't know Jesus. And we have to remember that that's the thing God cares about the most is a relationship with them. And that's the thing that we want to care about the most is they don't know the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so when we get into conversations about morality, about culture, about uh, what God says, we're speaking a different language. And so our posture needs to be, how do I share the love of Christ with this person? And how do I and like, even when I say that, how do I share the love of Christ? It's not one conversation. Mm -hmm. How do I share the love of Christ Christ through months and years of being that friend who's compassionate, who's understanding, who lives with integrity and uh, just with an, uh, an upright life? Like that's, that's the relationship with an unbeliever. And how important is it in either of these relationships, either with a fellow believer or with an unbeliever, that we are open with our own stories. Yeah, I think it's With our own lives with these folks. Because sometimes, as you're saying some of this about with an unbeliever, I can feel, you know, sometimes take years, many conversations. Some people have a, this idea of this is a box to check. Yeah. Like I have a particular specific outcome yes. that I'm I'm aiming for with this person. If it doesn't happen, then I just move on. It's an agenda. You see people as projects. And so we're not opening our lives. So yeah. how, how do we how would you encourage people to even 
kind of get beyond that fear because yeah. there is a fear, I think, in that of even because I know for me, sometimes fear will hold me back because I'll be thinking, um, I'm a broken man. Mm-hmm. I haven't arrived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so what is this non believer going to think of somebody who professes, uh, you know, trust in a perfect savior. And, and it's like, so I think sometimes it's hard for us to open up our very lives, but why is that so important that we be open in these relationships? Mm -hmm. Jonathan, it's so critical uh, that we do that. I I've talked to people that don't know God who, when they describe Christians, they'll say they're these plastic people that seem to have life all together. And when they meet a Christian who genuinely shares their struggles not just the struggles of, again, my past, but my struggles today, and that I don't have it all figured out, and I feel pain too, and I wrestle with things as well, but here is my point of truth, and here's the way God meets me in my pain and in my questions. Like, that's somebody they want to listen to, and I think that's probably always been the case, but in our culture, it's even more so because story is so powerful in our world today. Somebody can argue your facts, but in our world, they have to listen to your story and validate your story. Even if they don't believe what you believe, they can't, they can't, Jonathan, they can't invalidate your history of how mm-hmm. broken you were sexually and how your marriage fell apart. And now it's together. They meet you and your wife and they see your kids and they're like, wow, if that happened, mm-hmm. that's, that's something else that doesn't happen every day. Uh, and so your story has such power. And we do see this in the gospels when Jesus would heal somebody, he'd just say, go tell everybody what I did for you. And I think he still says that today, go tell everyone what I did for you. Yeah. And I love, um, I think, too, that can actually be uh, an interesting point of commonality yeah. because you, you mentioned earlier what is highlighted in our culture, personal experience, yeah. right? So if we can say, oh, man, you know what? I, I agree. Let me tell you about my personal experience with Jesus. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's a sense in which that's unarguable. It is, yeah. But, you know, I want to I wanna kind of... Uh, close our time by talking about sexual discipleship, mm-hmm. because I think you've created a framework, you know, not too long ago, you, you wrote Rethinking Sexuality, which mm-hmm. helps kind of navigate this area. How do we, how do we as Christians understand God's design from a biblical perspective? How does that um, speak in to not only the culture, but also into the church? Mm-hmm. Um, and out of that, you guys have developed uh, a sexual discipleship kind of process and platform. Can you share a little bit about that and how that might even intersect with what we're talking about here, about having hard conversations? Yeah. um, So discipleship, when you think about it, it's a long-term journey towards Jesus Christ. So often we're comfortable hearing the words sex and education put together. And we think about um, sexuality, even within the church and the family, from an educational framework of, I'm going to have this talk, I'm going to read this book. I want to get my kid to this line of purity uh, or get married as a virgin. Uh, And then we feel like, okay, then I've done my job. And if that didn't happen, then I failed, they failed. Discipleship is 
much more of this long, sometimes a very messy journey of what does it mean to be honest with our struggles, with our sin, with our desires? How do we have a, a, a larger context for the heart of Jesus around sexual issues? And it's really this framework that we never stop maturing. We should never stop maturing in our understanding of God's love Mm -hmm. and how we express that in and through our sexuality. And that there are married couples who aren't sinning, but there's a lot of ways that they need to grow in understanding their love for each other and how it reflects the love of Christ and his bride. Uh, And so I love using the sexual discipleship model because it welcomes everyone into the conversation and challenges each one of us to say, uh, there's more fullness of this. There's more lies that I'm believing from the enemy in this area of my life. How do I get set free? And um, it's just been really fulfilling to see individuals kind of grasp this and organizations and churches uh, because it changes the way we approach these issues. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so how can our listeners maybe get more information about sexual discipleship and also just what you guys are offering through Authentic Intimacy? Yeah, so we do now have two separate websites. AuthenticIntimacy.com is for the person who just wants uh, personal information in my life, my marriage, how do I find healing, how do I, I just work towards knowing God more, and so that's for the individual. SexualDiscipleship.com is for the Christian leader. And it might be uh, somebody who's in vocational Christian ministry, like a pastor or a counselor, but it's also just for Christians that have a heart for this topic. They want to be able to share with their friends and neighbors. They want to be able to disciple their children. And so that platform is much more intentional about training you and equipping you and connecting you with other Christians about how do we do this in a winsome way. Hmm. Well, Julie, it's always a pleasure to be with you. It's great to be in the same room with yeah. you. Um, we are so grateful for what you're doing through authentic intimacy and sexual discipleship. And just, um, I always feel like I get a booster hmm. when I'm with you because I feel like, man, I'm getting like a combination of personal counseling and just, you know, discipleship all in one sitting. So thank oh. you for being with us. Well, thanks. We love partnering with you and Be Broken, Jonathan. We love what you're doing. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're going to point you to those websites, and uh, we would love for you to check out AuthenticIntimacy.com and SexualDiscipleship.com. And we're always glad that you're with us, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at PureSexRadio.com.